tea house poems to nurture the past and rewild the spirit. A podcast by Caroline Kerjean. Episode 2. The Beauty of Belonging. During the pandemic, most of us have been trying to avoid any real travel. Only last summer, we cancelled our travel plans, brooded over unrefunded plane tickets, lost hotel bookings, and the prospect of vacations spent at home. The situation left us feeling grounded. It felt unfair, sad, and often oppressive as we fondly recalled memories of past vacations perhaps spent traveling abroad. As restrictions are lifted or easing, we begin to feel freer, to move about with greater ease. We begin to contemplate throwing off our shackles and rediscovering the world at large. But what if the grounded feeling we had before is not one we should so quickly forget and discard? What if this grounded feeling, rather than being understood as a punishment, like a child is grounded by a parent or a teacher, what if it could be interpreted as feeling rooted rooted, grounded, like a great tree is rooted in its native soil. What if our grounded feeling had slowly reacquainted us with a mental space we had long neglected? With a new sense of place, even with a new sense of belonging. What if our grounded feeling was in fact an invitation to return to the self? I recently read a beautiful book titled An Abundance of Less, Lessons in Simple Living from Rural Japan by Andy Couturier. The book is a collection of essays which outline the humble yet very meaningful lives of 10 Japanese men and women who have chosen to live a simpler existence at a remove from their country's fast-paced contemporary urban culture. It's important to me to be someone who has time Gufu Wantanabe explains, there's a term we have in Japanese, furyu. The characters are wind and flow. Someone with furyu has time to write haiku or can appreciate flowers, and they have space in their emotions to look at the moon or the stars. Those people who don't have furyu are not full people. I cite Mr. Tanabe in my first podcast episode, but I wanted to share with you the full quote, as I find it very beautiful and profound. I believe that what one rediscovers through a renewed sense of groundedness, of belonging to oneself, is precisely what this man describes. Time to write poems and appreciate flowers, and find the mental space within to examine the moon and the stars. I also believe that intrinsically what makes this contemplative time so meaningful is that it reveals our rootedness in history, both natural and human. One cannot devote oneself to studying nature and not come away with a renewed sense of awe at the small but meaningful space we occupy in the great flow of time. If we choose to understand it, this awareness can give us strength in the face of tragedy and trauma. The poetry of nature is the poetry of history. This awareness, this acute sense of time and place, transforms us through a different form of travel, a more emotional and spiritual form, one which allows us to chart a different course. 
Surely at this strange moment in history, when the world is slowly opening up again, tentatively, it is a special power we cannot afford to pass up. Revisiting the past in order to weigh in on the present is an exercise I needed to experience firsthand. It is a challenge I devised for myself and which culminated in my publishing an essay back in early 2020. The book came out just as the world seemed to fall apart. Titled A Bloody Song, How Anime and Literature Collide, the essay seeks to examine the past from the vantage point of the adult I am now, while trying to understand the child I was then. What did poetry look like to that young girl? What did beauty look like to her? I tried to find out, to decipher that child's mind, to comprehend what beauty meant to me in a larger sense, to uncover the origins of what I call my enduring thirst for beauty. Though born in Quebec City, I actually grew up in a small, suburb-like town a bit further south, a town which probably resembles a vast number of other small towns in North America. What also best describes me is to what degree I remain scarred by the actual pain caused by the ugliness of this place and of North American suburbs and cityscapes in general. Row upon row of cookie-cutter houses painted in nondescript colors formed the backdrop of a town whose inhabitants seemed to move about in a haze of unknowing. Growing up in a small North American city made me thirst for beauty in a way I could never have been fully conscious of as a child. One telling clue, however, was the fascination I had as a young girl for a particular Japanese anime, or animated series, which was set in pre-revolutionary France at the court of Versailles. The title of the series was Lady Oscar, and despite the heroine being forced into donning military dress, the rest of the colorful cast of characters were attired in the most beautiful costumes my child eyes had ever seen. The evanescent musical score, the elegant scenery, the palpable sense of history, all of these things seemed completely new and wonderful to me. This foreign animated series seemed to embody a set of realities that simply did not exist in my suburban quotidian. I loved the Lady Oscar just as much as all the other fictional heroines I admired. Anne of Green Gables, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Mary in the Secret Garden. I found myself able to get inside the mind of Oscar and perhaps to begin to understand the series rather adult narrative. As an adult, I continue to suffer from the painful lack of beauty in my surroundings. The ecological crisis is a crisis of aesthetics, wrote the late American psychologist James Hillman. I believe this is particularly true of North America's contemporary crisis of aesthetics and of the way it circles back to environmental destruction on an epic scale. It is easy to see that poetry, whether that of man or of nature, is everywhere under assault. What if beauty had nothing to do with our contemporary and destructive obsession with progress, with our endless striving for perfection? What if beauty had nothing to do with the sleek cult of technology we now embrace? What if true beauty has its roots in groundedness, in belonging? The beauty of belonging, of returning to the self, is also the beauty of belonging to nature and to history to what anchors us to the earth, to our sense of time, both personal and collective. 
The French philosopher Simon Weil famously wrote that, quote, to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul. Her beautiful book, The Need for Roots, published in 1949, is entirely devoted to examining the question of what she sees as being the central event of modernity, namely the epic tragedy of uprootedness. One she sees as being key to understanding modern alienation and even the rise of totalitarianism. Interestingly, Simone Weil was one of the rare European intellectuals of her day who was genuinely interested in exploring Buddhist and Hindu concepts alongside Western philosophy. And I feel certain that her ideas about the need to belong owe a good deal to her openness toward these alternative modes of understanding the world. I will attempt to explore some of these ideas in a future episode, but for the moment, I will merely observe that as a child, my still very vague ideas about beauty were also inspired by a Buddhist subtext, that of Japanese anime, chief among them being Lady Oscar. One scene from this anime stands out when I try to recollect the strong feelings I had for its heroine. It is a scene which plays out in the latter part of the series. Having faithfully obeyed her father's wish that she embrace the role of military officer at Versailles since early adulthood, Oscar's growing sense of selfhood and her fleeting infatuation with the Queen's lover, a historical figure whom you might remember as being Count von Fersen, slowly lead her to begin questioning her allegiances. Her longtime friend and servant, Andre, is sole witness to her struggles. When Oscar suddenly decides to leave the royal guard at Versailles and takes up the command of a regiment in Paris, she tells André that he's free to leave her and make his own way in the world. André, who is in love with her, attempts to reason with Oscar by suggesting she finally accept her womanhood and change her way of life. Furious at his indiscretion, Oscar slaps him only to fall victim, in turn, to André's desperate violence as he forces her down. Following this attempted rape, which was originally censored, Oscar travels alone to the family estate in Normandy. The scene I am referring to plays out as she's walking along the beach, alone in the evening. It is beautifully illustrated and very evocative. It is almost as if the ambience created by this one beach scene sums up the entire series. Oscar walks along the beach, Seabirds wheel overhead in the setting sun. She gazes out for a long time over the ocean. A stray dog appears. She kneels down, extends her hand. The dog pauses, then walks on, leaving her alone again. Head bent against the wind, Oscar continues on her way. It is a moving statement on love as exile, and even of life as exile, a theme I further discuss in the book. But the scene also harks back to a particular aesthetic, that of wabi-sabi. Most closely associated with the Japanese tea ceremony, wabi-sabi is actually an unwritten philosophy which holds that beauty is not rooted in the domination of nature, but in man's close association with the natural world. It holds that beauty must not be understood in terms of good and evil, but of light and shadow. It teaches that all earthly things tend to non-existence, and that it is this quality which renders them valuable and precious. 
What if this philosophy were key to rewilding the spirit? What if it were key to allowing us to entrust our Western ways to the benevolent forces of ecological and aesthetic renewal? I believe this delicate oriental aesthetic has much to teach us about the feeling of groundedness, the beauty of belonging. Let us imagine the beach scene once more. Imagine our heroine pausing by the shore. Perhaps she recalls the hours spent here by the seaside as a child. It is easy to imagine her looking at the position of the sun and deciding to walk on. One pictures her running a hand through her hair, feeling the wet salt on her fingers, the thicket of knots woven by the wind. The last bit of scenery that is offered up is that of a wrecked ship along the shore. She stops to examine it. Can you see it? Can you smell the odor of rotting wood? Don't you wonder how long it has been lying here? How many men have perished in these waters? This metaphor for Oscar's own shipwreck sheds light on the fact that the mark of time is inscribed on our bodies. That the intimate narrative of the body belongs to the sometimes dark and violent poetry of a collective history, while at the same time trapping us in individual pain and solitude. And yet, what is history but our native soil, our native sense of place, made up of light and shadow? One can imagine that Oscar suddenly feels that she has ventured too far, that she must get away from this broken ship. One can imagine her hoisting herself up on her horse and riding back home in the glow of the setting sun. One can imagine that her traumatic experience, just like our own, has made her feel lost, exiled. But we know she is strong. Just like her, our own experience has brought us back to ourselves. It has renewed our acquaintance with our inner strength. It has taught us the beauty of belonging, of coming home to ourselves. Like Oscar, we are rooted, grounded, Facing the headwinds, we too have learned to stay strong. We will survive. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you will join me next week as I invite you to experience another tea house poem. <laughs>